Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. The boxer Mike Tyson once said, Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. When, as a family, we moved to Pretoria last year, we had a plan to plant the newest Doxadeo campus right here in Hatfield. We had a word from God, we had a vision, we had passion. And then three weeks after the launch of the church, we got punched by COVID-19 right in the face. Now, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. Having to lead this baby church that can't really sit upright yet on its own and not soil itself every couple of minutes has been genuinely difficult. All of us have had to come together to trust God and to work hard at a sense of unity and stability. But Dr. Hatfield, I want to say to us today, it's time that we move forward to the plan, not go back to the plan, move forward to the plan. Because one of the pillars of what God put in our hearts for what Doxedo Hatfield would become is that we would be a multi-ethnic church. In other words, people from all backgrounds in Swanee coming together, from all neighborhoods and cultures and languages coming around the throne and the cross of Jesus. You see, in Revelation 7, it gives us this poetic vision of the end of all things. And it says that people from all nations, and it uses this Greek word ethnos, ethnicity, that people from all nations are coming together around the throne of Jesus to worship Him. So we are not a multicultural church. We celebrate the diverse cultures that we have, but we have one culture, a kingdom culture. We are not a multiracial church because we believe the Bible teaches there is one race, the human race. We are a multi-ethnic church. People from all colors and backgrounds and languages coming together in the city of Twane around the cross of Jesus. And it's time that we get back to that vision. So today we are starting a brand new sermon series in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to ask you to page there. If you go to the second half of your Bible, the New Testament, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll find the story of the early church, the book of Acts. And then you'll start encountering these letters from the apostles. They were the Jesus chosen early leaders of the church. And just keep on paging through these letters until you find the book of Ephesians. And we are calling this series Ethnic blends, a journey of diversity through the book of Ephesians. Now to stay with the boxing metaphor for a moment here, I would say that pound for pound, Ephesians is probably one of the most influential documents ever written. Because in its few little pages, we get one of the most vivid and challenging and beautifully God-inspired pictures of God's good intention in creating mankind, his purpose for man, but also man's dire state of sin and brokenness and rebellion. But God's gracious reaching in 
to our state through the cross of Jesus in history. And now, fourthly, him bringing together, calling together this multi-ethnic family called the church for his glory and for the good of society now and into his new creation. So what's the context? What's the scoop of this letter to the Ephesians? Now, the city of Ephesus was one of the most impressive and intimidating cities in all of the ancient world. It had this this collection of all these different people. It was super diverse, religiously, ethnically, uh, economically. It brought all these different people together. And as the the port connection between Europe and Asia, it was one of the most important cities in all of the Roman Empire. It boasted one of the largest libraries in all of the ancient world. And many of the most learned scholars of the day stayed in the city. When it came to religion, it was like opening up a licorice all sorts pack. It was something of everything. There were more than 50 different temples in this city. And, you know, sexual promiscuity was literally a business because all of these temples had some form of prostitution worked into the religious practice, into the worship. So what happened in Ephesus stayed in Ephesus, you know, unless it was contagious, then I guess it was with you for a while. But this was a wild city. This was an impressive city, a great city. It housed one of the seven wonders of the architectural world and the ancient world, this temple to the god Artemis. So how does the church find itself in a city like this, this intimidating city? Well, we have this early couple in the church, um, Priscilla and Aquila. And you'll read a whole bunch of them in the book of Acts. But they got converted to the Christian faith through the preaching, the ministry of Paul. And they started traveling with him on some of these different journeys that he took into the greater Asia Minor, eventually coming to the city of Ephesus. And together as a team, they started breaking open new ground for the gospel. And so Paul would eventually you know, come back to visit this thriving new Jesus community. But the letter comes from many years later. Paul is in prison and it's the last half of his ministry journey in life. And he's writing this general letter that goes out to all the churches in Asia Minor with the church of Ephesus as one of its main recipients. So this is where it comes from. And what's the focus? What's the message? Well, similar to them, our world is fractured. It's broken by racism and classism and individualism. But Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, comes to give us another picture, another model, one that eradicates racism, one that breaks down prejudice and brings people together. Why? Because it speaks of a God who is working in people to bring them together in unity by the gracious act of Jesus on a cross for us. So Ephesians, the church, they were anything but (laughs) mono-ethnic. They were a passionate, vivid, exciting, colorful church. And so the question has to be asked, if the kingdom of heaven is not segregated, why on earth is the church? Hatfield, I want to say that I believe God's desire 
is the unity of a, of a diverse group of multi-ethnic people coming together to walk together, to work together, and to worship God together. That is His heart for us as a church, for this city and country and the world. Dr. Hadfield, this is our passion. This is our vision. This is our journey. So let's get into this book together, this challenging, intricate, beautiful, God-inspired letter. And we're starting in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul introduces himself and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just hold on a minute there. So letters in the ancient world had a set structure. You would introduce yourself and you would identify the recipients and you would do some blessing of some sort. You would address the issue in the body. You would do some housekeeping, say goodbye. So it had a structure, all the secular letters. But Paul, as he often does, he co-opts the structure and he kind of Christianizes it for his own goal. And here he's being so specific because he's not just identifying the author and the recipients, but he's doing so by connecting them to the most important signifier in the world. And what is that? Their relationship to Jesus. Nothing could be more important in Paul's mind. He says, I am Paul, an apostle for Jesus Christ. How? By God's will. It's the will of God, the plan of God, the flourishing of God that Paul, the persecutor of the church, former persecutor, hater of this Jesus movement, would become Paul, the pioneer of the church, the church planter in this early movement. God's will is to bring such beautiful things out of such brokenness. And exactly the same for the people of Ephesus. He says to them, the saints, what? In Christ Jesus. Paul says the most defining thing of this diverse, colorful community is what? It's the fact that they are in Christ Jesus. How many of us are still, I'm speaking to myself this morning, how many of us are still discounting our present and our future because of our past? We look at the failures and the sins and the brokenness of the past. We look at our struggles in the present and we say, God, I do not see a flourishing future for myself. I can't see that you would use me. I feel inferior. I feel that I'm always struggling and failing. I can't imagine that you would have a vision for my life. But Paul says, no, I am not identified by my past. I am redefined by the actions of Jesus. My past actions, even my present actions and failures do not identify me. The actions of Jesus are now the greatest identity that I take on in Christ Jesus. And he says, grace to you, grace to you. Whatever defined me, whatever marked me, whatever broke me in the past, Whatever the failures and the sin and the deficiency says, now there is something that has come to take hold of my life. It's the unmerited favor of God. Grace to you, he says. And now this next section, 
verses 3 to 14, man, this is literally one of the most beautiful and difficult pieces of scripture in all of the Bible. And you can't see it in the English, but in the Greek, this is literally one long, unbroken sentence. In fact, it's literally a song of worship to God that describes this ever-widening circle of the work of God on our behalf in Jesus. And so Paul, you know, under the inspiration of the Spirit, uses this exuberant and extravagant language to try and explain to us how good the good news gospel of Jesus is. So theologians love this long sentence and English teachers hate it. It's going to feel like, you know, taking a deep kind of M&M breath and wrapping all through the whole thing. So read with me. Just let this minister to your soul for a moment. Ephesians 1 verse 3, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good uh, pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. And at Nehemiah, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory in him you are also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Wow! Guys, I'm not kidding. What I'm saying, this is a year's worth of preaching to get into this text. It's phenomenal. It's the Christian faith right there. And so just to keep it simple for us today, let's see just two focuses. I want us to see that under the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul comes to challenge us with identity and with community. He challenges us with identity. It's God who called us. And with community, God brought us together. So let's look at that first one. Identity that God chose us. You see the essential difference between Christianity and every other religion or worldview is this one word, grace. It's the unmerited favor of God. It's not that we can earn it or deserve it or achieve it, but that God poured out his blessing on us. You see, all religions of the world say that blessing comes to those 
who can become more peaceful and, and, and more centered than everyone else. It comes to those who can outwork and outserve and outpray and outchant the rest. It comes to those who can keep the balance of the scales of their life's actions to being a good person. You know, even outside of religion, those who live a secular lifestyle, the blessing, you know, hashtag bless, that comes to me from my ingenuity, my hard work, my striving so that I would have the beautiful wife next to my side, so that I would have the car that would make my neighbor jealous and envious, so that I would have the kind of house that everyone wants. It's through these efforts of achievements and grafting. But listen to Paul. He says, no, blessed is God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Look at that language. Paul can't help himself. He says, blessed be God, worship God, look at God. Why? Because he has blessed us with every blessing that we would need to become full human beings, fully alive on the day that we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior into eternity, everything that we would need to be a fully functioning, flourishing human being in Jesus once again. This is not about earning it or achieving it or deserving it. This is God in His graciousness, in His love, in His sovereignty, choosing to be good to us in Jesus. I mean, this whole text, if you look at it, the focus is so clear. It's on what God has done and how we react. It's not what God has done and what we have done or can do. It's what God has done and how we react to what God has done. I mean, literally every single one of these is a sermon. So I'm just going to scratch the surface, but look at what God has done. Verse three, God blesses us. Verse four, God chooses us. Verse five, God predestines and adopts us. That's beautiful. Verse six, God lavishes grace on us. Verse seven, God redeems and forgives us. Verse eight, God richly pours out his wisdom and understanding on us. Verse nine, God makes himself known to us. Verse 10, God unites us with Christ. Verse 11, God works out everything in agreement with his will. And verse 12, God seals us with the Holy Spirit. And what does it say? How do we respond? What do we do? Simply this. These are the four things. We listen. We receive. We believe. And we hope. It's what God has done and how we respond to his goodness. Now, can I just be honest? This rails against every sentiment in our deeply individualistic hearts. Because we want to say, no, I'm in control of my life. I'm making this happen. And then we fluctuate between this deep pride in our hearts that we are winning, we are conquering, or we fall to the deep depths of despair in moments of our lives where it it feels like everything is coming apart. I have nothing in my life, in my hands, in this grip anymore. I want to show us in probably the most impactful passage in all of the Old Testament how God says, no, it's not what you have done, what you can do. It's not your pedigree, your performance. 
It's my choice. It's my choice. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. God is speaking to the people of Israel that he is going to choose them. He has chosen them to bring blessing through them to the whole world. Listen to this. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord has set his heart on you and chosen you. Now, why would he do that? Listen carefully. Not because you are more numerous than all people, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. It's not because in the ancient times, strength in numbers spoke of of worth. And God says it's not Israel because you were the greatest or the most impressive. In fact, you were not all that impressive. But I sovereignly chose you in love. Friends, it's not that we one day impressed God with our actions. We finally got our, our whole deal together. You know, we turned a page in life. We started going to church. We, we started giving to the poor, being a good person. No, we come to this place where it rails against our individualism to realize that the greatest things that we think we can do mean nothing in the greater scheme of things. It's not moving the needle at all. And it brings us this deep humility to realize, no, it's God's choice. He has lovingly chosen us in spite of the deep brokenness that we hide from everyone else. In spite of the past and some of the future troubles we are still going to experience. And you know what this does is it, it brings when we are in seasons or when some of us have this disposition to say, I'm winning, you know, I'm, I'm definitely doing better than everyone else. I'm walking ahead. God, he owes it to me. I deserve the kind of life that I need, man. It humbles me to the core to realize, no, in fact, you bring nothing to the table. And it brings such deep joy. And hope to my heart when I'm in that season or I'm the kind of person who feels I have been raggedly drawn through this life and I am broken. I feel destitute in my spirit. I feel empty. It feels like my arms are weak emotionally. I'm broken. I cannot take another step to know that God is the one who comes to scoop us up in loving choice. It's all God, friends, the reality is if we had a hundred thousand choices all throughout life, we would never, ever choose God. We would never. We would continue to rebel and to spit and slap his face. No, it's because God came to revive our hearts through his spirit. He came in Jesus to deal with our sin and brokenness and death. He came to defeat the enemy and the sin that empowered and powered over us. He is the one who came to redeem my broken life and raise it up as a glory offering to his name. And how did he do this? Paul makes no bones about it. He says he did this in Jesus. It was his work. Jesus is not some philosophy or teaching or idea or framework. He is a historical person that stepped into history, the God-man, 
Jesus Christ, perfectly man, perfectly God, to come and deal with our brokenness. It's in Him, putting our faith and our hope and our trust in Him. It's not going to church. It's not being born in a Christian household. It's not having the right pedigree. It's not being a good person. It's knowing that it's in Jesus alone. And that's why Paul says, verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood and forgiveness. Verse 11, in Him We have also received an inheritance. It's in him, verse 13. You also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's in him. It's his work. It's his choice. It's his grace. It's his goodness. You know, I think of Danielle Strickland from the Salvation Army. I once heard her saying in a teaching that true dependence True dependence, I'm dependent on. True dependence is agreeing with God about who He is. And true humility is agreeing with God about who you are. Friends, this is the new identity that we take up in God. That it's truly his work that we respond to and it humbles us and it raises us up. And I want to say, why am I hammering on this? Why is Paul hammering on it? Because without this identity, we will never, ever be a multi-ethnic church. Without this identity, if it's him, we will never become the community that God destined us to be. Because it's God who chose us, saved us, brought us. And it's God who brought us together. You know, there was this ad that was put into the newspaper in 1995 in South Africa, just, you know, across the line of this new rainbow nation dream that we had, this new dispensation in our country. And they were trying to show how complex our country was. So this ad said this about South Africa. We are 20 million women, 19 million men, eight religions, 25 church denominations, 31 cultural groups, 14 languages, nine ethnic groups, one country. So he's saying, you know, you Ephesians think you have a difficult. We have everything in one part. It's like, you know, the end of the week and it's just all the leftovers that we're eating. All of the leftovers in one country. We are an eclectic mix. And it's because of this that we have been unable to fully realize this rainbow nation dream. To address the horrors of the past. To find our common humanity together. And deal with the brokenness that we face today. But Paul comes and he says, under God's inspiration, it will not be the same in the church. Verse 9, he says, he has made himself known to us, this mystery, according to his will. Why? To bring everything. Say everything. Just quickly flood the chat. Just type the word everything, everything, everything in there. To bring what? everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. You see, because of this identity that we have in Christ, God can now bring this humble people, this eclectic, diverse, multi-ethnic people together because it's not us, it's Him. And so we can celebrate white and black and brown and yellow and pink 
And I'm saying pink because you should see what I look like if I fall asleep on the beach. I look like Peppa Pig most of the time. So we can bring all these people together, the languages together. We can celebrate and express these cultures. But we are humbled when we realize it's not us. We are not the chosen and some have been left out. In fact, when that happens, when we see ourselves, it's, it's misunderstanding the fact that God has chosen that brings elitism and racism to the forefront. You know, it was the 25th of May, 1944, that then Prime Minister D.F. Malan, for the first time in Parliament, used the word apartheid. And he said these words, and I quote, he said, it was our duty as the Afrikaner to sustain white Christian civilization through racial purity while acting as the guardians over non-European races. How far had the Christian faith fallen to be connected to something so evil? See, it's when we see ourselves as chosen by God, it's our pedigree, it's our right, we are the people. Then this pride, this elitism, this racism stands up in us. But when we understand it's not us, in fact, it's in spite of us, it's God choosing us. Then when we come together around the cross to work together, to walk together, to worship together. We can take arms and say, you are my brother and you are my sister. We talk different. We look different. Our cultures are different. But we come united around the level ground of the cross. You know, I think of the early 2000s movie, my big fat Greek Wedding. If you haven't seen it yet, please find it. It's so classic. But in it, this Greek woman, and as she says, you know, <laughs> this is her quote. She says, Greek people marry Greek people to make more Greek people. And she falls in love with this non-Greek guy, Ian. And now they have to deal with this non-Greek and Greek world coming together. But there's this beautiful moment where she says this to him, where she has this realization, this epiphany. She says, yes, my family is big and loud. And yes, we fight and laugh. And yes, we roast lamb on a spit in the front yard. But wherever I go and whatever I do, they will always be my family. Friends, the heart of God is to bring together around the cross and the throne of Jesus one big, fat, multi-ethnic family. That, Dr. Hatfield, is our destiny. It's our journey. It's our path. It's our passion. But it starts for every single one of us in the same place of identity. Before community can happen, identity must be settled. And that's why I want to just close by asking you, maybe you've been tuning into our services or you've been part of this church for a couple of months even. Maybe I've, I've gotten emails from people saying, it's so great, we found a church online. Maybe where you are you have not actually come to this place where Paul says in verse 12, those who had already put our hope, our full trust in Jesus to his 
praise and glory. And verse 12, he says, you were what sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of what? Of your salvation when you believed. Man, that's a hard word, salvation. That says against us saying, no, I've got it together. I'm strong. I'm an individual. I'm the captain of my soul. I can make it work. I just need a bit of help. I just need, you know, just to fill this crack in my life at this moment. But that's what the gospel says. The gospel says, no, you are more lost and broken. You are more defective than you can ever realize apart from Jesus. You have lost your humanity. But in Jesus, you are loved and redeemed and restored more than you could ever know. But you have to come to this place. You know, I think of this, this moment where my son, Benjamin, he was a bit younger and we were at my parents' place and we were swimming. And so he was in the pool. He couldn't swim yet. So he had this, you know, the poly otter thing with all those little, those little tubes. And so we, we have lunch. And so he takes all of them out. But at one stage, he has this brainwave. He wants to swim again, but he doesn't realize he doesn't have any of those things anymore. And so he runs. And I see this happening in slow motion. We're sitting there and he jumps into the pool with nothing that he needs to float. And I literally see in a few split seconds him just, just sinking to the bottom of that pool. And I dive in with my clothes and I, I pull him out. And you could see in his eyes, he had that genuine That revelation of absolute lostness and absolute salvation in that moment. He didn't need a course, a bit of help. He didn't need a bit of psychology or just a, just a, you know, a kickstarter. He needed to be saved. And if you are still in that place, you know, it speaks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. In the ancient times, letters and packages would be sealed to show this is authentically that of the owner. Are you still sealed by your own brokenness, sealed by your own wisdom, sealed by what people spoke over you, sealed by your sin and rebellion, or have you been reignited to life by God? Are you sealed by His Spirit? Have you come to the place where you say, Jesus, nothing else. I cling to your cross with tears in my eyes to accept your free grace and love to become today a fully alive person into eternity. If that's where you are today, if you want to respond to this good news of Jesus Christ, lay down your sins, turn away from your past and turn to Christ in faith. Will you just follow one of our links in our description? We would love to walk the road with you in discipleship. This is not the end. This is the start. Friends, Jesus is bringing us a new identity together as a community. One big fat, multi-ethnic church. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for anyone today who realizes that they need your salvation. I pray that they would experience such a burst of life into old bones, into an old shell, that they would be fully alive in the spirit as they lay down their old life. And I see you, God, as King and Savior. I pray for Dr. Hatfield that we would be relentless in our pursuit, humbly, God, becoming the community you destined us to be for your glory and for the good of this city. Amen. Amen.